Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 47, and uh, we have a return guest today, uh, uh, a man I've known a long time. I've always respected, a former NHL scout, a director of player personnel for the uh, Dallas Stars, former uh, GM of the Calgary Flames, and currently the director of scouting for TSN, and I think all of you know who I'm talking about. Of course, it's Craig Button, and uh, he joins us as we look at the uh, uh, upcoming prospects for the 2008. 18 draft and just have a general hockey discussion as well. So let's uh, welcome uh, Craig to the Red and White Authority. Craig, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Art. Always a pleasure to join you. Yeah, well, I I, 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 I want to start off by first talking and, you know, uh, tragic news in, in the world of hockey. I know a man that you knew oh. very, very well, Jim Johansson. Uh, I thought Dylan Larkin Monday after they defeated uh, the Red Wings defeated uh, uh, New Jersey. Uh, you know, after his press conference was over, his post-game comments, he himself said, listen, I got one more thing to say. I got to talk about J.J. Uh, obviously, you knew him. He was, you know, so a central figure in USA hockey. Uh, just tragic news. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know, and I know I'm kind of throwing this at you, but if, uh, you know, you, you know you, your, your thoughts about really who was really just, uh, you know, I knew him as just a super person. He, he was, and I, I, I don't know if there's enough words uh, to, to really give Jim Johansson his due for uh, not, not only what type of person he was, but what type of leader he was and the impact he had on USA Hockey. But you, you, you make every attempt to, to honor that. He, I, I mean, he was smart, and he was competitive, and he was passionate, and he was all of those things at, at all times. And as a player, as a coach, as an executive, as a leader, and I've said this often, Art, mm -hmm. it is no accident that USA Hockey ascended to greater heights internationally at all levels uh, under the red, white, and blue flag playing on those international stages under his leadership. It is no accident. He was instrumental. And, and the beautiful thing for me about Jimmy was that he always looked at it as, okay, we have a player on our team. We know what he can do individually. What can we do to help him understand what he can do to maximize his benefits for the whole of the team? And his ability to do that, uh, you know, you think about the national team development program. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're bringing in the best players in the U.S. to come in and be part of this program. So a lot of players are going to be playing less minutes than they've been accustomed to in different roles. But the... The understanding of what the big picture was and how important all those contributions were going to be were significant. He also, when the national team development program was developed, one of the big things that, one of the big objectives was, is to really establish a presence internationally where players wanted to play for USA. Well, I'll tell you what. That is exactly what ended up happening. Because coming through the National Team Development Program, U-17, U-18, World Juniors, where they've excelled, and now at the World Championship level, the Olympic level, it, it, it's so impressive to think that, that all, the, all the seeds were planted by USA Hockey and cultivated by Jim Johansson. I, I, I mean, he loved hockey. And I can only tell you this, 
Hockey is going to miss him terribly. Right. Well, you know, when he summed up his remarks, Dylan Larkin said, I cannot wait to wear the colors, the jersey again, and I'll be playing for him. And, I mean, I think that that's, you know, quite a tribute and testament in itself. If you, I mean, Dylan was, was, you know, just one hockey game. He played well. But you could tell he was extremely moved when he talked about, uh, as he called him, J.J., and uh, you're right, it, it's a great loss, and, uh, uh, you know, it's shocking. 53 years old, you just you just don't think that, you know, that's going to happen. No, and, and why would you think that it was right. going to happen? There's, right. there's no reason to believe that those things are going to happen. And, you know, uh, you, you know, you just seeing Jimmy at the, in Buffalo at the World Juniors, I mean, I mean, he was, I mean, you're disappointed on the one breath about losing the semifinal, and, you know, now having to get ready to go and play for a bronze medal. But, you know, another like he made it important for the players to understand that winning a medal and representing yourself, you know, you might not have won the gold, but some of you players are going to come back next year and play against some of these very same players that you've been playing against. And you want to leave on the most successful note possible. So, I mean, all those things that Jimmy was able to, you know, instill in, in the individual players, and, and it, we, we hear the term culture, mm-hmm. and I, a lot of times I think it's an overused word, but Jimmy created a culture of respect for the game and honor for playing for your country. And Bill Larkin put it into words, you know, I, I watch the U.S. players, and I, I, I'm lucky I get to see them at the U-17 and the U-18 all the way through. Mm-hmm. Even the way they stand on the blue line, when they national when the national anthem is being played, Art, and they hold their helmets in their left hands and their sticks in their right and their posture is up, that's part of the culture. That's part of the culture of the honor of representing your country. Jimmy was instrumental in that. Right. Well, you know, really, truly, hockey lost uh, a, a great man, and obviously... Uh, we send out our condolences to, uh, uh, to, to everyone that knew him, his family, certainly everyone at USA Hockey and the hockey world in general. Um, you know, Craig, you know, it's always an, a kind of an awkward transition when we, when we, you know, we remember somebody and then we, we talk about the business at hand, so to speak. But uh, let's, uh, I know the World Juniors have been over for almost a month now. Canada wins the gold medal. There were some highlights during that. That outdoor game was very re- reminiscent of the Winter Classic between the Red Wings and Leafs in Ann Arbor with all the snow and everything. But uh, uh, Team USA did win the bronze medal. They defeated the Czech Republic 9-3 to for the bronze after losing in the semis to Sweden and Rasmus Dahlin uh, uh, 4-2. to But, uh, you know, your overall impressions of that uh, of that tournament uh, now that you've had about a month to reflect on it? Well, the, the tournament is such a fantastic tournament. It brings together the best talent under 20 in the world. It's a, it's a, it's a best-on-best tournament. We don't get best-on-best tournaments in December. So not only do you have these incredibly talented players, you also have this incredible intensity and this, you know, this, this peaking. It, it's interesting because you talk about a month after, going and watching some of the players play now and back in their respective leagues, I asked myself, geez, it's got to be incredibly difficult to go back and understand uh, that you're playing at a, at a much lesser intensity. And, you know, where every game matters at the World Junior, you know, you have to, you know, take, you have to dial it back and at the same time try to dial it up. So I think that that becomes challenging. But these are the, it's the future of the NHL. 
and mm-hmm. it's the players that are going to that are going to be wearing NHL jerseys and competing against each other for years. So the opportunity not only to watch those players, but for those players to measure themselves against all the other players in their peer group that they're going to be playing against uh, for years to come, to me, is it, it, significant. It's significant for the for the players and for the NHL teams that have drafted these players because you want to see how they're progressing and. The evaluations are ongoing. You know, we like that player. Geez, we, we we had concerns about that player. He's better than we thought, or that player might not be as good as we thought. So it really gives an opportunity to everybody to, to evaluate. Um, I know the USA was you know was hoping to win back to back gold medals for the first time in the history of the tournament. Canada wins. You know, reading everything. Uh, it's kind of strange that tournament from this aspect. You know, people follow it in the United States, but in Canada, as you very well know, working for TSN, I mean, they, uh, you know, it might as well be the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, uh, just how much pressure is that Canadian team under? And every time they win a gold medal, I know it's expected, but sometimes I feel, gosh, the pressure these kids are under. You know, it's almost amazing when they win a gold medal, but that's, you know, my own personal opinion. Yeah, well, what I will say, Art, now, I don't think the expectation to win gold every year is still there. Mm-hmm. I think there's a recognition that, again, we talk about international hockey. You know, if you go back to 2010, so from 2010 on, the U.S. has won three gold medals at the World Junior. Uh, the Finns have won twice, Canada has won twice, Sweden and Russia have won uh, uh, once each. So you're looking now at a pool of teams, countries, that are really competitive. And I think everybody recognizes coming into the tournament that legitimately there are five teams that can win this tournament. And I think that the Czech Republic is moving forward, mm-hmm. and I think they're, they're progressively moving where we're going to be talking about a group of six. So I, 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 don't, I, I think that the, the idea that you just put on the Maple Leaf and you're automatically going to go out and win the gold, I think those days are, are past, and I think that that's a credit to all the countries that understand how good the tournament is and how well prepared they are. Even I'll go back. You consider Dominic Ducharme, coach of Canada, mm-hmm. Thomas Montan, coach of uh, Sweden, Bobby Motsko, the coach of uh, the USA, Valery Bragan, the coach of uh, 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 the Russians, uh, the, the Slovak coach, Bokrush, comes back. The, all of the, there's so many coaches now, okay, that are coming back to coach their teams at the tournament because they get a better understanding of the tournament. They get an understanding, better understanding of the player pool and, and what the challenges are. So I think it's made the tournament incredibly, incredibly competitive. And at the same time, you know, everybody knows you're going to have to be at your very best to win this tournament. So that being said, I, I, I think that, uh, the Canadian kids, you know, the, when, when you set high expectations, and that's exactly what the U.S. has done, mm-hmm. they go into tournaments now not thinking they can win or hoping they can win. They go into a tournament going, we expect to win, mm-hmm. and we're going to give ourselves every chance. So I think that because of the preparations that go on long before they get to the World Junior Tournament, and I'm talking U-17, U-18, the different development programs that are going on in the respective countries, the Swedes were completely devastated about not winning. And, you know, that speaks to an expectation. And I think that that is what, what we've seen in the World Junior Tournament. So I think like any other country, 
Canada goes in there with an expectation, so do the other countries. And I, I think that's what's made. The, I think that's what's taken the tournament to an even higher level. Well, I, you know, this is kind of, you know, sometimes I jump around a little bit. Uh, Craig Button, obviously, is our guest, uh, the scouting director of TSN. We're talking about prospects and, as I like to say, a general hockey discussion. Could Detroit ever get a World Juniors? I don't know if they would ever bid on it, but, I mean, it would seem with Windsor here and uh, just the way that this is such a hockey hotbed, not that Buffalo isn't, but is that even possible, or could it be kind of a, a joint host between Detroit and Windsor, kind of a real international flavor to it? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why it why it couldn't be. So, if you ask me if the possibility is there, I, I I would say without a doubt it is. I mean, you know, I lived in Ann Arbor for 12 years. I know how much passion there is for hockey in the Michigan area. And obviously, you get to a border town, and you know, you draw you know a, a, a greater fan base. But to, to Detroit support uh, a world uh, that I have no doubt. I, I don't think there's any question. I mean, could you could you have Detroit? Detroit and Windsor? Could you have, you know, in Detroit, Plymouth, Windsor? Could you have Sarnia and, and Detroit and, and Plymouth and whatnot? I, 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 of that, I don't doubt that it could work. Now, again, there's a lot of organization that goes into it. That, that, that goes without saying. But I think that, number one, you have a great hockey market, or like, a, or like a hockey, hockey environment, and you have fans that are really passionate, and I think you put those together, and there's every reason for me to think that absolutely Detroit area could support a World Junior Tournament and support it in, a, in an incredibly successful fashion. Right, I, yeah, I, I would I, I would love to see it. I, I, I mean, certainly I think that it's, uh, yeah, I've watched it for years uh, on the NHL network through really uh, the coverage that TSN provides. And, uh, you know, it, it is such wonderful hockey. And I, I just hope that it would, uh, you know, maybe someday uh, I think this area would really, really embrace it. And uh, who knows, maybe they can do something like that. Uh, I, I know it would make the coaches at Michigan and Michigan State happy for the GLI. They, they tend to lose players to these teams maybe they can uh, the kids can double dip be on the uh, uh, team USA or team Canada and then also play for the respective college teams during the uh, the Great Lakes Invitational obviously it's impossible but it would be uh, it would just be a fun venue anyway uh, Craig let's move on and actually talk about this tournament uh, before we get into the 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 2018 draft and the guys that uh, uh, the players that are eligible for that like like Erasmus Darlene um, Players that were already drafted in this tournament on NHL teams, who really kind of stood out for you? Were there a couple of guys? I mean, I thought Middlestat was absolutely great for Team USA, uh, uh, but uh, any guys that are already, you know, a property of NHL teams that really look good during this tournament? Yeah, well, you know, like, like I always think it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of good players at this tournament, and it, and inevitably, you know, you start to go down the list of players, and you go, oh, geez, after a while, you start to think, oh, I missed this guy or I missed that guy. So I'm just gonna, I mean, Casey Middlestad was unbelievable at this tournament. I mean, you, 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 you and, and, and you know, the reason I bring up Casey is there was a lot of going into the draft. Or it was draft year, there's a lot of talk, oh, Casey's going back to high school. You know, Casey Middlestad playing at Eden Prairie High School, that was really important for him. He wanted to compete for a state championship. The year previous, they lost in the championship game to Wyzetta, 
and he wasn't, and, and he didn't experience that. And people say, oh, he shouldn't go there. Well, why shouldn't he go there? It matters to him. It's important to him. And people say it hurts his development. No, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt his development. His development comes in a lot of different forms. And, you know, Casey became a top 10 pick to, to the Buffalo Sabres. But he also showed at the World Junior Tournament in his peer group, he is one of the very best players in the National Hockey League. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview here. Mm -hmm. I do a top 50 players outside the NHL, NHL-affiliated players that have already been drafted outside the NHL. And that's going to be coming out on February 5th. Casey Middlestad is number one on my list. Wow. So don't tell me that going to high school is going to hurt a player. Casey Middlestad is gifted, and he's determined, and he's and he's going to be a really, really good player. He was a dominant player at that tournament. Kiefer Bellows, I mean, he right. broke a USA hockey record at the World Junior, Jeremy Roenick's record, nine goals. Kiefer uh, is just a, he's a terrific goal scorer. So you know, even though a team that uh, you know fell short of their of their goal of winning the uh, gold medal. You know, they were still uh, a top, top uh, performing team uh, with some individuals. With and, and, you know, that's the fine line you get to. I mean, the, U the U.S. gave up two shorthanded goals in that game against uh, uh, Sweden in the semifinal, and, and that was enough to, uh, to hurt them. And, and that's what ends up happening at these types of tournaments. So, you know, you, you, you consider what to, how tight the competition is. That, that's what goes on. You know... Canada. I mean, to, to me, Carter Hart, the goaltender. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he was he was he was lights out good. I mean, uh, you know, he played last year. Uh, you know, fell short a little bit, but came back this year just a, a better player, uh, a more confident player, and a more knowledgeable player about the tournament, and, and, and was and, and was absolutely absolutely terrific. You know, there's always going to be a player that comes kind of uh, off the radar screen that you, you go, okay, obviously he's good to be at the tournament. But Drake Batherson, a draft pick to the Ottawa Senators, who went through one draft part, mm -hmm. I mean, he, he, he was terrific for Canada. And he, he, not just scoring, but in the way he made plays and the way he just adjusted. And, and you know, this is another step up for all these players. This is another level up on your path to the NHL. So you're going to have to meet the, the challenges as you go through it. And I thought Drake did a, did a really good job. You go over to the, uh, to the Swedes. Uh, Elias Patterson, the fifth overall pick last year to the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, he's, one of the, he's one of the top scorers in the Swedish hockey league. I mean, he's, he is so good. He is so gifted offensively. And much like Henrik Zetterberg, He's going to need a little time to physically mature. And, and that's just normal and natural, and you can't speed it up. But, boy, the mind, the hands, the feet, the ability to get in and, and make uh, really good plays and create offense, Elias Pedersen has that in spades. Go over to the fence. Ailey Tolvanen. Mm -hmm. He's going to play on the Finland Olympic team in Pyeongchang. He's an 18-year-old kid. He's one of the top scorers. Top scores in the KHL. He's a leading rookie scorer. He is lights out, an unbelievable offensive player. Can score from anywhere uh, in the offensive zone. Can can score on the attack. Can score the shot, and he, and he can make plays. And then I'll finish with the Czech player Martin Nachash, mm -hmm. who to me 
drafted by the Carolina Hurricanes, just a dynamic, dynamic centerman. And with that great skill also comes a big motor. He, he, his engine revs at high RPMs. And when you add the high-end skill to that, I think that the Carolina Hurricanes have a terrific, terrific young player that's going to be a real impact uh, for their team. Because one of the things when I look at the Carolina Hurricanes, I don't see difference makers in their lineup. I see good players, but I don't see difference makers. Martin HS to me is a difference maker. Wow. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a pretty impressive list. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, looking forward to uh, you know to, to seeing all, all of those players in the NHL, but obviously Casey Middlestad, as you said, it is a terrific story about you know. But we've always heard Minnesota high school hockey is uh, is a cut above it's uh, it, itself. I've had a. Uh, several uh, friends of mine have sons that have played Minnesota high school hockey, and uh, it, it always struck me. Uh, I covered a, a football game between Michigan and Minnesota, and the top of the fold of the sports section back then, newspapers were still being read, uh, was Minnesota high school hockey, and the preview of the Minnesota Michigan game was, you know, in the sports section, but was the bottom story. It was, you know, you had to flip the paper over at the fold to to, to read about it, which really tells you where uh, high school hockey is in Minnesota, how they feel about it. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things about it, it's not just how they feel about it, but the kids grow up with it. Right, And right. the kids, you know, you know, this is something that matters to them. And, and you know what, one of the things, I, I told this to Casey prior to him heading into his draft year, I said, Casey, if it's important to you and you want to you want to go and try to compete for a high school championship with your friends and try to, you know, you know, finish, uh, you know, try to get an accomplishment that you think that's all that matters. I mean, you, you, you're good enough to be a real good longtime NHL player. Don't worry what anybody else is going to tell you. Right. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't win, but it's the commitment. It's about saying, hey, listen, you know what, I want to, I know there's no guarantees, but I feel that this is something that's important to me, and I think we have to respect that. And also to that end, also to that end, Art, I went and watched him last year a couple high school games. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was like three and four players surrounding him at every time, right? And I'll tell you what, never once did I see Casey Mills that waiver in terms of his determination or try to make something happen. And, you know, as you get up the higher levels, that's not the same thing that's going to happen. And I'll tell you what, uh, we saw it at the World Junior how good he is. Right, no, he, he certainly is, is a true talent. Uh, let's uh, turn our attentions to the 2018 draft. Uh, we've heard nothing against the 2017 draft, but uh, the 2018 draft in, in Dallas, that this is going to be a deep draft. There's a lot of great players. Uh, I know the Red Wings, uh, they're, they're going to try to stockpile uh, draft picks, and uh, they had 11 uh, in last year's draft in 2017. I think they're up to nine right now, if I've if I've, I've got my math is correct, uh, but an overview of 2018 is this a vi- is this a deep draft? Is this uh, as I've been told, just full uh, teeming with talent? I think is the way one NHL executive put it to me. Yeah, there's lots of talent, and, and I, I think there is art in every draft. There's mm-hmm. lots of talent. Now, there's there's various uh, varying degree varying degrees of talent in terms of you know w- what position is it at, and you know where are players at in the developmental cycle. But there, there's lots of talent in this draft, just like there was lots of talent in last year's draft, and it's going to become more evident as the years as, as the years go on, and we see some of these players. You know, how did they get him in the second round? Did you see that? What a great third-round pick. And this draft offers that. You know, what's interesting 
is that drafts to me get defined by the top talent in it. So mm-hmm. it's a great draft when McDavid and 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 and, and uh, Eichel are in it. It's a great draft when Matthews and Line are in it. But you then you go and you ask, okay, well, who was the third pick and who was the seventh pick and who was the eleventh pick and who was the fifteenth pick? You go back and look. I mean, Brock Besser was the twenty-third pick. Kyle Connor, who played at Michigan, was the 17th pick. Right. You know, really good players. Really, really good players. I mean, I mean, Besser's got 24 goals. Connor's one of the a real top performing rookie on, on a real top team in Winnipeg. So, I mean, I, I, I've seen drafts for decades. And I, I tell you what, every draft has lots of good players, and this draft is no different. And, and I think that every draft, one, you can only deal with this year's with the players eligible for this year's draft. you, you got to deal with what's there. And, yeah, it would be nice that every draft had a Rasmus Dowling. Well, it doesn't. So, you know what? Somebody's going to be incredibly happy when the lottery balls fall, uh, when that uh, process takes place. And they should be, because Rasmus Dowling, to me, is a franchise-defining defenseman. He's, he's an elite number one that can do everything in the game. And, you, you know, they don't come along. So when you when you do have an opportunity uh, to be in a position to select that player, like a Connor McDavid, like an Austin Matthews, I mean you, you, you're just ecstatic because they, they, those are the types of players that you know you they become foundational players uh, for your franchise. Well, it, it's interesting. I you know. Uh... Uh, you wrote for TSN. You wrote a uh, an article right after the World Juniors concluded, and uh, this was uh, your, your your lead. You said Swedish blue line Erasmus Dahlin is the undisputed best player available in the 2018 uh, NHL entry draft. In fact, there's no player close to him. What makes him so good, Craig? Well, it's not one thing. It's it's everything. And, and you know, when I talk about a complete player, there's no area of the game that uh, uh, Rasmus can't play in. I mean, he, he, he can he can contribute offense, he's good defensively, he's physical, he can skate, he can pass, he can think, he raises the level of the game when it's necessary. Uh, he's just got a fluidity in every area, from, from his mind to his hands to his feet. You know, I'm Talking to Jimmy Devolano, who was part of the New York Islanders franchise when they drafted Dennis Potvin first mm-hmm. overall in 1973, one of the questions I have for Jimmy is, and he knows the players, and he knows Rasmus Dallin. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to ask him if this, if Rasmus Dallin is the best defenseman to come along since Dennis Potvin. I'm not talking about after the draft. I'm talking about going into a draft, mm-hmm. and. That's, you know, Jimmy can provide that type of background and that type of history, which I think is really interesting. But he could play in the NHL right now, Art. And if if there was one defining element for for me with Rasmus, it would be this. A lot of players, so many players, make plays when they run themselves out of options. Not all their options, but they go, they they have an idea of where they're going to go, and oh boy, that's close, I better make a play. Rasmus Dahlin makes plays when it's to the greatest advantage for his teammates and for his team. So you not only get the puck when you have lots of time, you get the puck when there's lots of room around you. So you can even do more things. And when you think about the NHL level when you're playing again with better players, he's going to be able to maximize those abilities to a greater extent. And what that also does is, he keeps everybody at bay because 
he's going to make those plays where, where, where it's to the greatest advantage to everybody. So how do you play against them? Right. You know, you, you, you pressure, he makes the play. You give him time, he makes the play. You give him time, and he says, well, wait, there's a better play there. I'm going to make it. He, he is so fluid in terms of just taking the play as it comes to him. And I, I, I just think he's brilliant. And the other thing about him, too, and this, Dennis Pondman was a rugged player. And this is where I really want to get some insight from Jimmy D. Is Rasmus Dallin shows some real, real physical initiative, you know, to switch the game uh, in, in that manner, too, which is not very common. Well, let me. I know that there have been defensemen drafted number one overall in the NHL, but. How odd is it to have a defenseman drafted number one and be ready to step in the league? And not only, and, and you know, Craig, I might be uh, you know a, a little bit over enthusiastic based on your assessment here, but that not only will he step into the league, but he could be a very impactful player from the moment he steps on. And we're talking about a kid that's still seventeen years old. He's going to play in the Olympics at 17 years of age. He, he, he turns 18 in April. So, at every level. Okay, so last year, he's playing with for London, the SHL, on a top team. Okay, he's playing on a top team that lost in the league championship. Okay, this year, he's on a like, top four minutes. He's, now he's a top defenseman again in Rwanda on the SHL. Mm -hmm. Plays in the uh, international tournament in November. By the second game, he's on the first power play unit. And coaches recognize and look at players and say, okay, I better get him out there. He's that good. And Rasmus just goes in place. And he does it with, with, with a finesse. He does it with a determination. And he does it with a calm. And we're not talking about elite players that don't have elite talent. We know he has elite talent, but it's all those things. And, you know, he, he's special. I mean, he's, he's, he is special to defensemen like McDavid is to centermen. He really is. He's that good. Wow. Well, I... You know, I know that, you know, certainly Red Wing fans, I think they're caught between a rock and a hard place to a certain degree. Uh, you know, I still think deep down most people like to see the Red Wings make the playoffs because they're so used to seeing them in there. But then again, if, if it's not going to happen, you know, they're, I, I think, you know, the, the religious ones are lighting candles or something and uh, just hoping that uh, somehow they're able to get him because, you know, again, to, to wrap it up, because we could go on and on and on about his talents. You can check him out on YouTube where he, I think in the World Junior, he just danced through the entire Russian hockey team, uh, just moving the puck. Uh, it's truly extraordinary. I've seen him play at the uh, Summer Showcase, although he is hurt. I think he played in Sweden's first game and their last game against, against Finland. But if by some, you know, grace of whatever, uh, if, if, if Darlene is drafted by Detroit, uh, you know, he's certainly in a Red Wing uniform, and nothing against the, the, the current crop of Red Wing prospects or guys that are on the roster, but he could be one of their best players at 18 years old. Do you... There's no question. Yes. I mean, he, was just, he, was just named, he was just named the best defenseman as a 7-year-old at the World Junior Tournament. Right. Right. Yeah, it's... Like, there's only been one other 17-year-old defenseman named best at the World Junior Tournament. And that was back in 1982, Gordy Kluzak, who ironically went first overall to Boston that year. But, uh, the, the, I mean, it's rare. I mean, so he's going to come into the league, and I think he's going to have an impact uh, that's going to be real strong. 
And it's only going to get stronger as time goes on. I mean, obviously the league is hard. We, we know that. And we, we know that the players have to go through the different uh, stages of growth and development and learning the league and understanding it. But he is going to be a, a really good player right from the get-go. Right, that right. I have no doubt. Right, he'll have a short learning curve if there is a learning curve at all for him in the NHL. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, you know, Craig. I again, we could talk about him, uh, Rasmus, the whole the, the whole podcast here. Let's go with some of the other guys that uh, that you've talked about. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, I would assume if if the right player is there, regardless of where the Red Wings are going to draft in the first round, they're going to try to to get a, a a defenseman, an impactful defenseman who you know has a uh, uh, will be on the. Uh, uh, the fast track to to the NHL and the number two player in your list uh, uh, of top prospects that you released uh, right after the World Juniors. Uh, the article is dated actually. Uh, I, I ran it off on January seventh. Is Adam Boquist. We've heard a lot about him. Unlike Rasmus, though, uh, he's listed at 5'10", 3 uh, and 3 quarters, 168 pounds. So he isn't as big as Rasmus, yet he's pretty talented in his own right. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, obviously, you know, we, people want to compare certain players to current NHLers, and you've heard, uh, you know, that I've heard it, I've seen it, that Rasmus Dallin is compared to Eric Carlson. I, I don't see Eric Carlson at all in, uh, in uh, Rasmus Dallin. What I do see uh, uh, in Adam Bolquist is Eric Carlson. Mm -hmm. I mean, right down to the way he takes the skates and the way he carries himself. And he's a right-shot defenseman. And, you know, one of the things that makes Eric Carlson so good is that he's got a daring. And so does Adam Bolquist. He's got a great creativity to himself. He's got a great... vision and ability to see things and, and, and to let them develop. A lot, of, a lot of players don't allow a play to develop, and, and that requires a, a, a tremendous amount of poise and, and patience, and Adam has that. So does Eric Carlson. The other thing about Adam is that, like Eric Carlson, a lot of times they don't know what they're going to do. They're going to wait and see what the, how the path unfolds in front of them, and then mm-hmm. they're going to strike. And so if they don't know what they're going to do, how can an opponent know what they're going to do? And I think that makes them even more dangerous. That, to me, is what Adam Bolfrist brings to the game. Yeah, he, you know what? I say this all the time, Art. And, uh, and, you know, the beautiful thing about it is as long as I continue to do this, I'm going to be able to say it forever. <laughs> if you want to start scouting with a tape measure, go ahead. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. So I don't care if you – I go and evaluate the player and what he does and what he can do and what I think he, he's capable of being able to translate that to the National Hockey League level. And then I go for there. And then I decide, okay, well, is that height going to be a hindrance or anything? And to me, you want to go down the, the path of, of doing things with it. They all have to get stronger. We know that. So why are you going to say, oh, yeah, he needs to get a little bit more uh, strength? Yeah, no kidding. They all do. But like in terms of height, I could care less because I see lots of six foot five players. They can't play a left. So I don't care. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump around. I was going to go to Shvetsnikov next, who's number three on your list, but uh, Quinn Hughes, uh, seven in your list, and, and I think the the as far as uh, U.S. skaters or uh, North American skaters, he's uh, uh, number four in the list that was released uh, by the Central Scouting Bureau. But uh, Quinn Hughes, 5'9", 167, plays for Michigan. Uh, he's one of those players you're talking about. Uh, he is. And again, I've watched Quinn for a lot of years, and, you know, Quinn's an outstanding skater. 
And he uses that skating to be able to beat pressure defensively, to, to get the puck up the ice, to transition, to maneuver himself into positive positions in the offensive zone. He's got great hands. He can shoot the puck. He can pass the puck. And he's got a great mind for the game. He, you know, he, he's got that. A lot of players are good skaters, and they might have a good shot, but they don't have the great vision, and that's why they don't produce a lot of points. And, and that's what keeps the, that's how you get the, the different levels of player, a top-end offensive defenseman. And one, you go, well, you know, skating doesn't automatically translate into top offensive numbers if you don't have the vision and that creativity. Right. Quinn has the vision and the creativity. And I'll tell you what, there has never been a game that I've watched Quinn Hughes play in where when the demands got greater and, and the challenges became a little bit stiffer where he didn't rise to it. I've never seen him fall short in that regard. And everything that we talk about, I talk about developmental weaknesses, that's physical maturity. That's going to get, he's going to get stronger. He's got everything else in his game to be a really, really good NHL player. When, uh, another player who's rated number six as a defenseman who's playing for the development program now located in Plymouth, Michigan, used to be in Ann Arbor, uh, who is a Michigan commit, I still think. Uh, you know, sometimes kids commit and then you never know, but uh, is Bodie Wild, and he's pretty big, six two and a half. So here's a, a young man that you have six overall. Uh, who uh, has decided that next year, regardless, that he'll probably end up at Michigan. Listen, Bodie, I mean, and, and so we're talking about a right-shot defenseman right. again, too, mm -hmm. right? So we know that right-shot defensemen, you know, you know they're, not, they're, they're a rare breed in terms of that high end. There's not saying Bodie can't do in the game. He, 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 all the skills, and, and he's, he's got grace in his game. He he can skate, and, and he's got an effortless skating style. He can be moving past you, and people don't really realize that he's moving that, that he's by you. He's got really good hands. He's got a really good shot. Here's what I would say about Bodie. I think that Bodie gets maligned unfairly because he has such natural ability, and because he can make things look really easy. I think people think that maybe he's not competitive. I've never seen that. I see a competitor in there. I see a player that wants to make a difference, that does make a difference, and can make a difference. And, you know, when I think about moving up the levels to the National Hockey League, and I think about all the elements that I think are necessary to be a really top-end defenseman in the National Hockey League, there's not one area that I don't put a check mark beside Bodie Wild's name. And I think he's yeah, I think he's really coming into his own. I think he's really gaining confidence in his play. And I think part of gaining confidence in your play is becoming secure in the player you are. And so Bodie goes out and plays. To, to me, when you're younger and you're good and sometimes players have to resist, you know, oh, i got to show what I can do. I think Bodie's real comfortable in his own skin. This is the play I'm going to make. It might not be a flash and dash play, but that's the play I need to make, and I'm going to make it. And he is a, To me, I love the efficiency in his game, but I also love the initiative in his game. Because when the games get hard and you need a play and maybe somebody to step up, I've seen Bodie do that. So I, I got all the time in the world for Bodie Wild. Uh, let's then jump up to number three on your list. I know we moved around, but the kind of local flavor there with Hughes and Wild, both uh, one at Michigan and one going to be at Michigan next year. Uh, uh, Evgeny Shvetsnikov's brother, uh, Andre, uh, injured right now, but uh, he is listed as number three. He's a right wing. Uh, uh, all the talent in the world from, uh, from every report I, I, I've read, that this is, uh, uh, he in his own right is a very much an impactful player. He is. Okay. 
and again, so we love to do we love to do player comparisons, and I'm always careful of it because I don't say he is this player. I say he's he's this type of player, and the type of player I see Andre being like is Marion Hosa. Really, that player, yeah. So I'm not like listen, Marion Hosa to me is a Hall of Famer. Right. I'm just saying he plays that style of game. He can shoot the puck. He can skate. He plays heavy on the boards. He plays in traffic. He can make plays. He can kill penalties. You know, Andre has always played two years ahead of his age group. And you know what's really, really impressive, Art? Is that he's excelled playing two years ahead of his age group. I'm talking 15 with 17-year-olds. I'm talking about 16 with 18-year-olds. Last year in the USHL, I mean, just go and look at what he did last year in the USHL as a 17-year-old. It, 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 it's, either, it's unbelievable what, what this young man does. And to me, that complete game and that ability to... to to strike at, at, at the most opportunistic times. He's got excellent hockey sense, and to me, you can play him in any situation. And, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I do not go, I, I tread very lightly in terms of trying to compare a player to a Marion Holsa or a Yeri Latin. Mm -hmm. And I would never say that he's Marion Holsa. I'm saying that he plays a game like Marion Holsa. And to me, that tells you that you got a pretty complete player. And that's how I see Andre. Well, your number four um, overall prospect, uh, Brady uh, Kachuk, plays for Boston U right now. Uh, you know, Keith Kachuk's son, Matthew's brother. Uh, he, to me, seems like he has all the talent in the world, but he has a little bit of a ornery streak in him, too. Uh, he, uh, uh, just a, a good, tough uh, hockey player. Yeah, for me, the, the biggest issue I have with Brady is that he's too competitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Whoever, whoever, says, whoever says somebody's too competitive. Well, you have to, like, I mean, amp him down on the bench or something? I mean, you know, hey, Brady, no, kind of I'm, yeah, I'm kidding. I, I mean, everybody <laughs> wants competitive. I mean, I, I love Brady Kachuk. I absolutely love Brady Kachuk. You know what's funny? I, I laugh about these things, too, because I, I always hear about Brady's intangibles. And, I, and I, I was at the World Junior, we were talking about it, and I said, what about his tangibles? He's a really good skater, he's got excellent hands, can make passes in traffic, has a good shot, and he's exceptionally smart. So his tangibles go with the intangibles to make him a real impactful player. Listen, Brady Kachuk, to me, is going to be a real strong NHL player. I ask myself these questions when I watch players. Now, you know, you have to evaluate players from a skill perspective and how they translate. But when I put on my management hat, my team building hat, and I say to myself, do I want that player on my team? It is 100% of the time an unequivocal yes with Brady Kachuk. He makes teams better. He makes players around him better. He makes life miserable for opponents. You know when you're going into a game, you're going, oh, God, Brady Kachuk. we got to play against him again. Your players are sitting on the bench going, oh, i got to go out and play against Brady Kachuk. That's the impact he has. His impact isn't just how he plays the game and how productive he is within the game. It's also the impact he has on the minds of the opponents. And to me, that's a special player, and I think Brady's special. Uh, looking at number five, and I'm sorry to uh, rush here because we only have a limited time, and I want to get into some of the Red Wing things too. Uh, uh, Craig Button's our guest, the uh, scouting director for TSN. We're talking about prospects, and as I said, a general hockey discussion. Uh, Philip Zadina at number five, right wing's playing for Halifax right now. Philip, 
Phillip is such a determined goal scorer. And by that, you know, a lot of players, you know, you hear about them driving to the net or taking to the net. And, I mean, that's a part of goal scoring. But for Phillip, he has the ability to score from inside the dots, from the top of the circles down, any side, any way. He can score on the rush. He can score from distance. He can score in front of the net off of rebounds, deflections. He, he can score from the left side, the right side, the middle of the ice. And that is an exceptional ability because when you become a one-trick pony, mm-hmm. it's really easy to shut you down. You, you know, you don't get into your so-called office. You can't get into those spots. You, you know, I mean, there's a couple of players that doesn't matter. Uh, one dimensional is in the right way. I mean, Brett Hall and Alexander Ovechkin, if you get into their offices, you aren't going to stop them. Timo Solani. But they, but they had lots and lots of abilities to score from other areas. But Zadina has that ability to score all in all those areas. And you've got to be able to, to create openings and create advantages for yourself by being able to attack from multiple points. And that's what Philip does. Wow. He's got an exceptional release on, on his shot. He's got great deception on his shot, so the goaltender can't get a good read on it, and he can beat you flat out. And because he's such a good goal scorer, he's not one-dimensional, though. He can also make plays. So you see such a good shooter, and now goaltenders have to really kind of commit to him, and he can make a play. And he can freeze a defender, and he can freeze a goaltender. Those You think about scoring in the NHL and how hard it is. So when you see players that can score in multiple ways, to me, they're really valuable. That's what I see in Philip Zadina. Well, I know we've done our top seven because we talked about Bodie Wild and Quinn Hughes. Uh, I want to get to some Red Wing things. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to leave anybody out, but there are a couple of players that you want to mention before we move on to uh, Detroit specifically. Uh, you know what? Here's what I would say, Art. I said, why don't we get into Detroit? We're going to have a lot of opportunity to talk about some more of these prospects as the draft uh, gets closer. So why don't we spend some time on the Red Wings prospects? So, you, know, uh, you know, Craig, my, my, my thinking exactly, but I didn't want to push the envelope, so to speak. Let's, uh, let's get into it. I want to talk about a couple of guys who have, uh, one is wearing the winged wheel right now, one ward for a day. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi's game seems to really be translating pretty well. I know it's an early sample size, but here was a guy that the uh, uh, that I think people were shocked when the Red Wings took him when they did. They figured that you know they didn't need to take him uh, that high in the draft. They could have got him in the fourth or fifth round. But Tyler Bertuzzi looks like he could turn out to be uh, a, a, a pretty good player for Detroit. Yeah, well, let me dispel a real notion. You want a player, take him. You know what? You know how many times I hear teams say, oh, geez, if we really liked them, we should have taken them. You like them, you take them. And you know what? Who cares what anybody else says? You could have got them there. No, you don't know that. You know what? The bottom line is you want to get players that you like and that you think you can develop. That's what the Detroit Red Wings did with Tyler Bertuzzi. Don't let all the outside noise count for anything. Tyler was always a determined player. He was always in the mix, in the grind, so to speak. And he was going to need a little bit of time to harness all those abilities and those skills to become a real good, impactful player. Well, guess what? That's exactly what he's become. And what does Ken Holland always say? I want my players to be overripe when they come to the NHL. Now, I know that the system and the models changed a little bit, but 
let's put it this way, Tyler Bertuzzi ripened up playing in the American Hockey League with Grand Rapids. And, you know, all those elements, understanding how to impact the game, how to manage it a little bit better, that's what Tyler's done. And when you think about his ability to skate, his ability to create opportunities off the forward check and off that quickness and off that speed, those are really important qualities for success in the National Hockey League, and that's what he brings to the team. When... Uh, uh... Every time I mention this player, and I think Detroit fans are rooting for him, he made his NHL debut uh, in New Jersey on Monday night. Uh, uh, the theme from Bonanza always goes through my head because Joe Hicketts is not big, and I don't know why I think little Joe, but here is a kid that has defied the odds every step of the way. I mean, And again, is can he define the odds and be uh, an everyday NHLer? Well, I always say this, you know, you can keep betting against him, and all he keeps doing is showing you should have bet on him. So, you know what, until he shows me he can advance, I'm not betting against him. I'll tell you that right now. Joe's an unbelievable person. He's an unbelievable, determined hockey player. And, you know, I, I was so happy to see him making his debut, debut the other night for the Red Wings because I think it's another great, shining example. You know, again, okay, we know what your height is. I know that. It says right there on the score sheet what your height is. Watch the game. Watch the game. Watch what a player does. Watch how a player gets, how he digs in. The one thing I really use to evaluate players are, mm-hmm. is I ask myself, and, and at any stage of the thing, is do they get pushed out of a game? And I'm not talking about, do, some players don't have the requisite strength at a certain period in time, but they don't allow themselves to get pushed. They, they might not have the strength to stay in it and to win it, but they don't get pushed out of the game. Joe Hicketts, I have never seen him get pushed out of a game. Ever. Ever. And he was a big part of Canada winning the World Junior Gold Medal in 2015. A star-studded team. He was really good. You know, he ended up becoming a free agent signing by the Detroit Red Wings. And I'll tell you what. I have, in my mind, a vision of him playing in the NHL for a lot of years. Well, you know, certainly you can tell when Jeff Blaschel talks about him or people in the Detroit organization, uh, you can see the enthusiasm as they're speaking about him because, uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, good teams, good executives get breaks on players and they make their own breaks because they do their homework. And it certainly seems like the Red Wings have done their homework on Joe Hicketts and when other people passed on him because he's listed generously or you know at five foot eight but here's a young man that uh, uh, really seems to be the complete package because he just understands he plays he knows his game and he just goes out and plays it and that's exactly it. I mean, uh, you just did the Southern Report on Joe Hicketts. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big believer that you ask players to do what they're capable of, and you don't accept anything less than what they're capable of, and and don't ask them to do more than they're capable of. And I, I think Joe gives you everything he's capable of, and he knows what he's capable of. So he's not trying to do more than, uh, th- than what the situation asks for. And he doesn't try to extend his game beyond what his capabilities are. And I think that that speaks to being a really smart, aware player. And I think that's really important. Uh, a couple other guys that are in the Red Wings system. Uh, uh, we, we already talked about his brother, and we kind of mentioned him, Evgeny Shvechnikov. Uh an intriguing player in his own right. You know, he's he's hoping that the Red Wings draft his brother uh, Andre so they could play together. But uh, Shvechnikov, uh, a few growing pains. It looks like he's experiencing right now. 
Well, okay, so you're going to have some growing pains. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's true of life. I mean, go, <laughs> go to the University of Michigan Engineering uh, building. I can tell you what, there's students that are in their junior years and in their senior years, they're still going through growing pains as they're learning and trying to master, you know, uh, the, the requirements to get their engineering degree. And, and, and that's part of life. And that Danny Svechnikov is a talented player, but you're, you, you have to, you're, you're going to be faced with certain challenges and certain periods of time as, as you're trying to pursue what, what I consider to be really worthy goals and, and goals that are important to you that you've worked hard at. But that doesn't mean they don't come without some resistance and they don't come without some obstacles that you got to overcome. So it's okay to have growing pains. What you want to make sure is, is that it is Evgeny working through them and not getting frustrated by them. And, and this is where development becomes so important for players. Because you got to understand where they're at, and then you have to help them understand, okay, yeah, you, you, you've hit a little speed bump here, but here's how we're going to help you get over it. That's, that's where coaching. I mean, I'm a huge, huge, huge Todd Nelson fan, mm -hmm. just for the record. Okay? And, and I think he's going to be an NHL coach and a real good one. And I think having him in place to help players is, 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 is paramount to having ultimate success. So I think that, you know, they're, they're in the right situation uh, in terms of their development to help these players go through some of these, uh, you know, what, what you call growing pains, whether we call them speed bumps or whatnot, that's what they are, but he's a good prospect. I want to talk about Vili Savary because he's been kind of looking for playing time between Grand Rapids and the Toledo Walleye, who have a pretty good coach in, the, in Dan Watson down in Toledo. Uh, uh, Sorry, Arvey, again, just, you know, some players take some time. Uh, you know, he's not the largest guy again in the world, but he seems to be a defenseman that if, uh, if his game rounds out, that he could uh, certainly uh, help the Red Wings out. Watching the World Junior, watching Billy play coming through, I always felt that he was a, a surefire NHLer. I think there's one area of Billy's game that he's got to work on and improve on, and I think he will, and I think he can, I think he can, and I think he will. And that is, he's so smart. He's such a smart player, and he's so good with the puck. But you have to play the game at, at, at a real high pace. you got to skate. And I think the biggest challenge for Billy right now is getting that skating part of his game. When you're in junior and you're able to you know, hold the puck and make the play because you're smarter than everybody, you, you, you don't have to play at the same pace. And the other part of it, too, is you're playing so many minutes that you also have to manage uh, your, your ice time and what goes with it. So I think that those are a couple of the things that Billy's had to deal with. But once he gets his pace of play and he, and he gets skating more and skating at that higher pace, I think the rest of his game will come together. And, and the American Hockey League is a hard league to play in. So, you know, there are some challenges. So you get him into a spot. There's nothing negative about playing in the East Coast Hockey League because it's just another area where you're trying to develop a player and understanding what he needs. But that's what I see with Billy, but those, the hands, the ability to create offense, the, the precision passing, the, the mind, those are all there. So it's just a matter of just getting that, uh, and, and he's a good skater, it's about just that just playing at that higher pace on a consistent uh, basis. Uh, a player that uh, was up here in Detroit, but he was sent down with uh, Joe Hickick because the Red Wings get healthy, uh, uh, you know, 
Uh, Dominic Turgeon, I still can't understand why his father, Pierre, isn't in the Hockey Hall of Fame, but that's for another discussion. Uh, but uh, Dominic, and I think he was a bit of a surprise call-up uh, from Red Wing fans, yet uh, Jeff Blaster was specific, said, we wanted, you know, we told, asked Nelly, Todd Nelson, who's your best penalty killer? They said Dominic Turgeon, but here's a young man who has made some pretty big strides in a short period of time. Well, yeah, but, and, and here's what I'll say to you. I don't know if it is a short period of time, because I've watched Dominic play since he was 16. Mm -hmm. uh, if I could take you back in time, uh, Art, and show you what it was like at 16, I think you would be massively impressed about how much progress he's made in that short period of time now that he's 21. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that, it's that saying, you know, that I always say this about rebuilds, and I said the next quick rebuild will be the first one. People think that they that, that these rebuilds happen, but they don't. It's a period of time. Anyway, Dominic, even in his draft year, I couldn't believe how much he had improved, even from October, November of his draft year into March. And I think that that's the same thing that Dominic has been able to do. I, I, I think in a lot of cases, too, for young players, especially when you talk about his father, Pierre, who was a great offensive player, uh, I think that for Dominic, too, he had to get comfortable with being the player that he is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about penalty killing. I mean, I think Dominic's a smart player. I think Dominic is a player that can make plays and create offense. You're not asking him not. But, but, but he's, he's got that well-roundedness to his game in terms he's going to be able to play some other areas. And I think that that's where he's going to find success. He's not going to be a primary offensive player. And much like I talked about Billy Sariarvi in, in a different way about his group, I think Dominic just has to continue to improve his skating. I think that there was always that potential to improve his skating. I think he's done that. And I think that, you know, you show a player how fast the NHL is and how quick it is, and now he goes, okay, I get it. And now he goes and works on it and continues to progress. But I think once that, uh, you know, that, uh, that element starts to, you know, get a little bit better, I think you can see Dominic Curzon knocking on the door for a regular spot. Yeah, one, one player, because depending on what the Red Wings do, Jimmy Howard's under contract through the end of the 2018-19 uh, season. Peter Mrazek, I, it's unsure whether the Red Wings will uh, qualify him at the end of this season, making him an unrestricted free agent. Uh, I always say the Red Wings need to catch a break on a player. One player that seemed to come out of nowhere, and it was at the Summer Showcase in Plymouth last August, where he did is uh, uh, Philip Larson, who is the goaltender for Tri-City Storm, committed to the University of Denver. This kid has played with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, could he be that player? I mean, he's really kind of, he was a six-round draft pick, I believe, in 2015. He's kind of come out of nowhere. Well, players do come out of nowhere, and I think that one of the biggest things you want to do is, is identify players that you think have room to improve. you got to give them time. So so now what does Philip have? He, okay, so he goes, and now he's playing in the USHL. Now he's going to go play at Denver, a really good program under Jimmy Montgomery. And so now he gets to go and work on his game and continue to develop. I mean, Art, you, you've covered all different sports. Mm -hmm. okay? And why don't we just go to, the, to, to, to arguably the greatest player that's ever played in the NFL. He was a six-round draft pick. We're talking about Tom Brady. Right. And what did, what did, somewhere along the line, the New England Patriots recognized something in him. But 
you know what? They recognize something in every one of their sixth-round draft picks. And not all of them have turned out to be, no. In fact, nobody's turned out to be Tom Brady. But that's what you have to do. You have to look at a player and say, okay, we believe that this player has potential, and now we're going to give him some time. We're going to work with him to try to help him realize that potential. You're going to be right sometimes. You're going to be way right in the case of Tom Brady. And other times it's just not going to work. But it doesn't mean that that's not the exercise. And I think the exercise of what they're doing is exactly what needs to happen. Well, if Philip Larson, a six-round draft choice in his own right, could be Tom Brady of goaltenders, that would be great. And, you know, I covered Brady at Michigan, as you very well know, Craig. And, I, I mean, he was, uh, he was always pretty special. And I think the thing that set him a cut above was his competitive attitude. And he was just not going to be denied. Regardless of the obstacles that were thrown at him at Michigan that I know of, and there were many, he just... Did, went about his business and, and became the player that he that he is today. Craig, let's look at the 2017 Red Wing draft. A couple of prospects that the Red Wings uh, are in the Red Wing system right now. Uh, first off, their number one pick last year, first overall, as I or ninth overall in the first round. That's Michael Rasmussen. Uh, very impressive. Uh, when he was up here uh, for training camp, as a matter of fact, you talked about uh, his f uh, net front presence, hand-eye coordination in front of the net. Uh, uh, it, it really looked like he was uh, w without question that that might be his uh, forte in the NHL. But uh, Rasmussen, wrist surgery. Uh, scheduled to come back, plays for the Tri-City Americans. I know I'm going on and on about him, but uh, 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 what do you think of Michael? I know that he wasn't as high on your initial draft board as the Red Wings drafted him. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I always caution people against, I'd love to be able to tell you, Art, that I know that the ninth player is better than the tenth player or the eleventh player is better than the twelfth player. You know, you try to get players in a, in a, in a, in a grouping, and, you know, if you tell me that the guy that I have 15th really should be 9th and the guy that I have 10th should be 15th, you know, as long as I feel comfortable with the grouping, mm -hmm. I don't really debate all that. I mean, and, and again, you heard me talk about Tyler Bertuzzi earlier, okay? To me, you identify a group of players that you think are really good that can fit what you're looking for, and then you say, this is the guy we want. So just because he, he might be rated... 15th and he went ninth. It, it, to me, it doesn't matter. It matters that you say, that's the guy we want and here's why. You know, you're always going to get that. And then, of course, five years after, everybody knows who you should have taken based on different things. And I don't get involved in that. But I would tell you this, is that, so you're looking at, at a big man, and I've always said this about the NHL without the obstruction. Everybody talked about the smaller player. Well, it was also going to help the bigger player, too. Mm -hmm. The bigger player that can move, and, you know, how are you going to stop that man? How are you going to stop that player from being able to be a real factor? And I think that that's what Michael Rasmussen has the ability to be. I mean, he's got, he's got really good hands, and he's got the ability to shoot the puck. And, you know, you get that big body, and you, keep, you use that reach, and now it becomes really difficult for opponents to, to push you out of space. Not only that, now now you open up even more room. You open up room for yourself. You open up room for your teammates. Then you add in the factor of where goals are scored at in the National Hockey League, around the net, in that area around. And Michael does that exceptionally well. So you're looking for those areas uh, to add to your organization. And so you start to look and evaluate. And you go, wait a second. This is somebody that fits that bill. And, okay, well, now we're looking at this player or that player. That's the guy we want. And I think once Michael gets his... Gets his, uh, I guess, his wrist in order. 
and I think that, I mean, I, I have no reason uh, to question whether it will or the, the, that it won't be, I should say, because I think it will be. I, I think he's got a chance to be a, a real good, strong player and, and a player that can contribute in many different areas. I, I, you know, I, I, I think I compared him a little bit to Thomas Holmstrom, mm-hmm. the area around the net, finding yes. pucks. James Van Riemsdyk's been a, a real top producing goal scorer in the National Hockey League for a lot of years. He, he's a potential free agent coming up this summer. I can tell you this. If you turn out a James Van Riemsdyk type player at ninth overall in the draft, you are going to be happy for the rest of that player's career. And I think that that's what the Red Wings are hoping for with Michael Rasmussen. And I think he's got potential to, 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 to do that. Right. Well, he he's very determined. I mean, I've got to know him a little bit. I mean, I was there when he was drafted. I was at the development camp. I was at the prospects tournament, and then through all a training camp. And uh, actually, he's going to be our next guest uh, on the Red and White Authority in uh, in our next episode. Uh, uh, but uh, he's very, very determined and very serious. You know, I mean, people still tell me I have to grow up. And uh, yeah, I know he's only eighteen, but this kid is uh, very impressive. Just his attitude alone. And and his willingness to do whatever it takes to make it to the NHL is uh, uh, probably one of the things that probably sets him apart. Well, one of the things that I, I'm such an admirer of the young players, and, and in any sport, really, but the ones that, you know, at, at, at some point early on, 13 or 14, they realize that they have a, a, a talent. And, and more than that, they realize that they have a real desire to try to achieve uh, a goal in, in, in sport. Well, and he's and he's one of those guys. I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, uh, through talking through some Red Wing officials, the day he was drafted in Chicago, he was just so uh, uh, thankful and kept telling Red Wing officials, "I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you down." Uh, I mean, I mean, well, I'm sure maybe that's what all that's kids what say, want, right? right? Right, exactly. Right, those are those are those are really good traits, and and so you people say, oh, he's serious. Well, that's good. You you learn that because to be a professional athlete, and you, you know you have a window, and, and and that window is is pretty much defined. So you have to have a maturity at a little bit younger age, a determination, and then with it a seriousness. And so that to me is is what allows players to be able to to, to progress to the, this point like Michael has, and then further than that be able to push themselves to the highest levels of their chosen sport. Uh, let's move on to Dennis Chalowski. Uh, had a rough go, maybe his first uh, uh, collegiate season at St. Cloud State. Uh, uh, was uh, captain of the Prince George Cougars. Has since been uh, traded to the Portland Winterhawks. But here's a young man that the Red Wings said you need to get bigger. And, and he did. And I think that they're impressed that he at least listened to them. And uh, is, is really uh, and, and having a good year. Um, in the Canadian Hockey League, in the, in the Western League. Uh, Chalowski, uh, I think some people thought, mm, you know, maybe, maybe he has a chance, but it looks like he's played himself into a pretty good opportunity here in Detroit. Well, he should. He's a, he, he's a good, solid player. I mean, he, he can skate. He's an exceptional skater. And he uses that skating to move the puck out of the defensive zone, out of, uh, either to give himself a little bit of space to make a pass or to just transport it out of the zone. He, he, he's really hard to break down one-on-one. So you're coming down on him. You don't get a lot of space. You don't get a lot of room to maneuver because he can close on you. And he doesn't break down. He doesn't have to 
back off in his ice because he's such a fluid, strong skater, not only with his agility, but also on his pivoting. So those are really, really important areas for a defenseman to have in the skating area. And, and with it, you know, with physical maturity, you, you, you gain more confidence in, being, in, in, in the ability to assert yourself. And now as you assert yourself more, you're able to, to have more uh, productive moments in different areas of the game. And with that comes more confidence. And that's part of the developmental sequence, Mark. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to have those areas of development start to move forward in that regard, those are things that become really significant in terms of allowing a player to reach his potential. And uh, I, Listen, we don't like a player to be able to step in at 18. The, 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 the truth of the matter is most players need more time, not less. And as long as players are progressing and moving forward in their game and their development, that's what the most important thing is for me. Uh, when you look, another player that's always intrigued uh, 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 Red Wing fans is Giovanni Smith, uh, who also was traded actually from a terrible Guelph team. So uh, he's been injured, didn't start the season. Uh, he's been been in the mix on Canadian uh, national teams. A, a, a big kid, plays aggressively. Uh, Giovanni is is a guy that I would I would assume would at least be in Grand Rapids next year. Well, I, I'll tell you this about Giovanni. I, I've just seen him play a couple of times here with Kitchener. He he's. He's, a, he's an excellent skater. He's got power uh, in that skating. And with that power comes a ruggedness and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a determination to carve out room and to make life incredibly uncomfortable for the opponent. So, you know, you're gonna, you, he's going to come down with the puck and he's going to lean into you. And so you're going to have to handle him physically. And he can skate by you. And he's got a determination to get to the net. And I think for Giovanni, he's going to be a player that's going to benefit from a good playmaking center because he does get around the net. He's hungry around the net. And he's going to be a, a disruptive type player because he can forward check and create opportunities that way. And he, he, he's physically, he's able to physically impact the game. And so when you can, you know, not only separate players from the puck, but get there with your skating, make them uncomfortable, make them pay the so-called price, you know, those are players, and remember, he was a second-round draft pick. Those are, we talk about mining players at different points of the draft. You can mine them in the sixth round, you can mine them in the second round. But it's about understanding what a player's game is and then helping him take those elements and, and developing it. And I think that Giovanni's doing a good job of it. And I think he'll be an NHL player. And I think he'll be a good NHL player uh, that, that can help a team. Uh, finally, uh, last prospect, and I know there's many, and as you said, we're going to have you on uh, uh, again very, very soon. Uh, uh, Craig Button, as I said, our guest from TSN, the scouting director. Gustav Lindstrom, who was taken in the second round uh, in Chicago, 38th overall, uh, was moving up on draft boards, but I think that kind of shocked everybody when they announced him at 38th overall, yet he has seemed to progress nicely. He seems to be knowing him and watching him at the Summer Showcase where he'd never played on the small ice surface before. He's very nervous about that. By Game 3, he looked like a quick study, that he he obviously is a very bright young man, uh, and that Gustav Lindstrom, could he be uh, a player very, very soon here in Detroit? Yeah, you know what? I, I don't put timetables on players. I, I don't know about soon. And, and again, we're going to get into this. People are surprised. Well, 
people may have been surprised because they didn't know the player and they didn't know how much he had progressed. And yeah. so he might not show up on, on so-called draft boards or whatnot. The only draft boards that matter aren't are the individual teams. That's what really matters. So, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, everybody has their own idea. I mean, listen, I can tell you what, at the draft, Teams are sitting there. You know, 31 teams are sitting at the 2017 NHL draft. And a player gets drafted and somebody goes at the one team and go, geez, that's really high for that team. So not only are fans and people thinking that it might be high, but so are other teams because everybody doesn't rate the players or, or value the players in the same way. So that's just a normal part of it. So when you get into what Gustav is, though, and, with Gustav, and I'll tell you this, Gustav's a competitor. He's a, the smaller rink is going to really benefit him, in my view, because he, he, he enjoys the body-on-body engagement. He gets up on the play. He wants to get into your space and make you uh, have to operate in tighter quarters. And then he, he, he makes, he's determined. He, he's going to try to get you away from the puck and make you have to go through him. And he provides really, really strong resistance. Then you add in the part about he, he, he's got good puck play. And, you know, I don't think Gustav's ever going to be a real prolific offensive player, but the, you cannot create offense if you can't get the puck out of your zone. And that's what Gustav can do. He, boom, puck on my stick, where's the outlet? Boom, now we get on the offense. And, you know, territorially, he's really, really good. He, he's going to defend the front of the net. He's going to break up the cycle in, 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 your, in your defensive zone to his physical play. And as his skating continues to improve and it will continue to improve, remember, this is somebody that's been growing and all these things coming together. He, he's going to become a much more effective player. And so whether that's a year or whether that's two years, I don't know. But he's a, he's a, he's a good, solid prospect and, and a player that I think will play in the NHL. Uh, Craig, what's uh, th- I, we could go on about uh, about rings prospects, but I want to ask you kind of a you know put on the old GM hat here. Uh, Ken Holland, uh, the Red Wings know that they're in a a, a bit of a uh, rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. They know that they need an influx of uh, of some young talent into the organization and on and on the big club roster, and they they they, they seem to uh, have some prospects already. Uh, under contract or in their system, uh, but uh, we talked about the 2018 draft. We know that it's uh, it's going to be a deep draft, but as you said, every d- draft has talent and it's deep. Right now, Detroit has nine picks, I believe, in 2018, depending on what happens at the trade deadline, where I think they're going to try to acquire more picks. Uh, last season, they had 11. I think Going into the draft in Chicago and in 2017, we all thought, well, they're going to probably trade a couple of them. But in a draft like this, do you see the Red Wings, and I know this is a tough question, and I'm asking you to be a bit of a soothsayer here. Do you see them acquiring picks, and then depending on what's out there, that in a draft this deep, that they could actually maybe use these picks to their benefit and trade a few and bring in some players that might be closer to being ready or ready to be a Red Wing. Yeah, here's what I would say to you. In, in, in today's salary cap world, Art, uh, yes. I, I don't think that's real. I don't think that's real plausible. Right. Number one, uh, everybody has salary cap constraints. So what everybody's trying to do is just hold on to the younger players on entry-level contracts that they think are closer to producing. And what you're what, what you're trying to do in terms of acquiring picks is is the teams that have some salary cap room to get experienced players. Right. So you know, so you, that that player 
that's in the prospect area. Now, whether that whether that's a, a player that's played 20 games in the NHL or whether that's a player that's played uh, no games in the NHL, like, teams just aren't trading those those prospects for draft picks. They aren't. What you're getting is, and then all you got to do is just go back and look. Braden Shen got traded for a first round draft pick. That's not a young player. <laughs> so, so when when you start to consider, you know. Everybody's building through the draft and knows that drafting and development is key. So what do you got to do? You got to hang on to your young players. You got to hang on to those young players that are on entry level. You're going to have a tough time finding many players that were traded in the prospect range for draft picks, uh, even though you have a whole, you might have a whole bunch of them because teams just aren't doing that. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm glad you said it because I, I, it, a hard salary cap has really changed the thinking. And, you know, Ken Holland, if he said it once, he said it a thousand times. Look, we want to acquire picks because the way you build your team now is through the draft. It's, you know, it isn't like it used to be. And, you know, and, and, you know, and, you know, he's been honest. I mean, you know, the Red Wings need to, uh, uh, go out and and do their due diligence and and draft players that will someday be Red Wings. I mean that's that's and I guess you just said it. That's the way that's the way of the world in the NHL today. It, it, it is, and, and and you can kid yourself, and you know, all you're doing is kidding yourself. There's no other way. That's what you got to do. Period. Really? Well, it. Uh, it's always uh, great to have you on, Craig. Craig Button, our guest. Craig, you know I've known you a long time. I've always enjoyed your conversation. I could sit here and talk to you for hours, and uh, uh, if we had the time, I'd love to do that. But uh, we will have you on again. I really, really appreciate you taking so much time out of your day and updating us on uh, not only the uh, World Juniors, the 2018 draft, and, and, and some of the uh, uh, fellas that I, I know, some of the players that uh, Red Wing fans hope will be in Detroit. Uh, uh, you know how fans are probably sooner rather than later but uh, really appreciate your time Craig thanks for being on the Red and White Authority yeah my pleasure Art look forward to the next time